0: TNR Koto Katoa No My Heidi Maiki Dietary Requirements, the spin off food podcast. Each month we get together to eat and drink delicious things and talk to the interesting people in the world of food. Simon Day, Tokotonga, and today is my birthday. So I'd like to propose a quick toast to myself. If we could get, get some, close, get some glasses How chinking. Yes. How old are you, Simon? I'm I'm 34.
1: 34. Getting on, really, wouldn't you say? Mid-30s? I thirties? 34. 34 is 34
0: the new 30. 27. Yeah. Not
1: that you die. The new 27, did you say? Exactly. Like I'm, I'm about the to... rock and rollers who died at 27.
0: Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> 26. Yeah,
1: that's a better
0: one. I'm in my prime. But Dietary Requirements is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Freedom Farms. Freedom Farms believes that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how that animal has been farmed. They're dedicated to providing you with the best pork, free-range chicken, and eggs. So buy their bacon, buy their eggs, and buy their chicken. We've got a special episode today coming to you with my co-hosts, uh, the spin-off's food editor Alice Neville and Sophie Gilmore, Kira. hospitality consultant for Delicious Business.
1: Kia Simon.
0: Because from the 25th to the 28th of June, the nine stars of Matariki will reappear in the dawn sky and this signals the start of Māori New Year. And te ao Māori, this is a time to celebrate new life, to remember our tūpuna and to look forward to the future it's about friends and family and it's a pretty good excuse to have a lot of kai. Next week in Takutai Square in Britomart to celebrate Matariki the lawn is being turned into a hāngi pit and today we are joined by the man in charge of that event uh, Riwi Spregen. Kia ora Riwi. Kia ora. He's a hāngi master, chef, artist and also a TV star.
1: What Star mate, monster. TV star. <laughs>
0: Joining Riwi today is Ganesh Raj, who is the co-owner of the Maori Kitchen. Uh, and how would you describe the the Maori Kitchen?
2: It's exactly that. It's a Maori kitchen.
1: Yeah, I thought the name was quite descriptive. Yeah. So if I who come down have, for
0: if I came down for lunch, yeah. Ganesh,
3: listening,
0: what would I what would I be having? What's on the menu?
3: So, we do the hangi tutu, which is basically the works. That's the stuff that most people are used to getting out of a hangi. So, the pork, the chicken, kumra, pumpkin, um, cabbage stuffing, and um, potatoes, of course, which is what everybody comes for. And it's a big, big, beautiful, generous feed because we want it to be generous. With a watercress
2: salad, of course.
3: With a watercress salad for those that say, hey, hey,
1: where's the where's the greens? Yeah, I was looking at the menu this morning. I like the, I appreciate your breakfast wrap's got like four types of meat in it. I was like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's
2: not for the faint-hearted. But we do a vegetarian option as we well. Do. Yeah. We do. And a vegan, vegan option. option as well. So, yeah. Oh, fancy.
1: Yeah. Uh, cater
2: for everyone.
3: And hangi is fully steamed. It's actually the food of champions. Because if you think about it, it's all steamed food. It's got protein, carbohydrates, and all the bits that you need. It's not fried. Mm. You know what I'm saying?
1: It was never going to put me off anyway, to be honest. It sounds bloody delicious.
3: And then we have the upgraded new models of hangi, which are the ones you've tested.
2: That's right, and that's the uh, obviously the hangi sandwich. And it's just a beautiful... uh, Well, you can actually have a couple of options here, vegetarian chicken or pork belly. And so the pork belly's been done in the pit. Everything's been done in the pit except for the bread. Um, And then we... uh, chill it down, and then we char-grill it. It's just amazing on the second cook when you char-grill yeah. pork belly. Yum. with The flavours of the earth, mm. the smoke going through it, and that's put on top of a nice bed of kumara, pumpkin potatoes, and a bit of stuffing, and that's mashed up, and it's just char-grilled oh. itself on top of a beautiful ciabatta bun. Ooh. And then on top of that is the pork belly, and on top of the pork belly is a secret sauce I can't tell you, an Asian sauce that goes on top of that with uh, Granny Smith yeah. cut on top of that just to cut through that. And then you've got rocket watercress salad on top of that with beetroot, of course.
0: See, oh, I'd forgiven wow. you for not bringing some food in and I'm going to have to retract that forgiveness. Yeah. That yeah, I'm, sounds
3: I think I'm so celibated. fucking When I bad. apologized, I knew this moment was coming. <laughs> wow.
1: On. That sounds absolutely delicious. Mm.
3: It is so, fabulous. So it's hungified, fried sandwich yeah. slash burger. Yeah. And then the breakfast wrap is basically a, a wrap with an egg in it. So it's your breakfast, everything you need in the morning to get going. Yeah, Salad, special sauce, egg in the wrap. Yeah. And it looks like this beautiful little number at nine in the morning.
0: What I love about it as well is down on Queen's Wharf, I'm just imagining people on their way to the ASB building in their suits having honey for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Off, yeah, off the Waiheke Ferry?
1: Do you have Waiheke After locals?
2: Yeah, we yes. have those weird people coming in as well. They, they're right in there. Yeah, You can't get that on the island.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah,
3: can't get it anywhere.
4: And are you actually doing the hangi down at Queen's Wharf now? Have you got pits?
2: Yes, so we are. One thing we forgot in the menu is the hangi pie.
4: Oh, Mary. Oh. Uh, I
3: apologise, bro. Mm-hmm.
2: Talk us through that hangi pie. Well,
3: listen, you take all the best bits of the hangi, right? All the things that we described, oh, this and then is you 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 chop it all up beautifully. So it's got texture. So not too not too tiny pieces. You want to bite yeah. into everything. And then you make a watercress gravy. Oh. And you put it through the watercress gravy and then you make a buttercrust pastry. <laughs> be an and
1: appetizer. then you
3: put all of it in there and you bake it and it comes out. And it is possibly, I mean, we haven't put it in the competition yet, but we're going to. We're going to put in the pie Awards. Oh my this, god, you must it's going in. But that's possibly the thing that most people get hung in a pie. Hung oh in a pie, hung in a pie. Oh my gosh. That's the tagline. This is
2: my been, version of
1: porn. I've <laughs> been
2: doing the honey pie for a while and yeah. because it's done in the ground and the flavours of the earth and the smoke, you know, Māori's are the biggest critiques out and I've been to so many festivals and said I'm not having one of those on a real hang. I said, Well just try it and I'll give you money back if you don't like it. And bam, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a hangi and a pie.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nice. nice
2: genius. So yeah, so the, the hangi pie is proving to be the like
3: the entry level product, if you want to call it, because everyone will have a pie, mm. and once they taste that, if they haven't had a hangi before, our hangi is the first hangi for them, and that's mm. happened to a lot of people
2: that come to the market, especially at the field days last oh, okay. week, right? Mm-hmm. All those Waikato farmers. How many pies did you sell? A lot. (laughs) Oh, we... Thousands, but um, they just smashed them over. It was cool. Yeah. Riwi, you've
0: been a big
2: advocate for
0: the promotion of Matariki and its Mm. um, sort of place within the broader New Zealand calendar year. Can you explain what it is and why it's important and its special relationship with food?
2: Yeah, um, so... Matariki, um, see a lot of people don't know about another star called Puanga and Puanga is is, uh, Puanga is actually, um, if you live on the west coast of the whole North Island and especially the South Island, you don't see Matariki because it rises on the east. If you live on the west, there's usually a mountain or a tree in front of you but Puanga is Rigel which um, rises at the same time of Matariki so the west coast people actually... Um, celebrate Puanga. Um, they don't celebrate Matariki as such, as Puanga. So I think um, Matariki, um, yeah, I've been a big supporter over the years. I've actually got a company I started 22 years ago. Well, no, I was 22 when I started, so yeah, about 22 years, well, 20 plus years ago, um, called Matariki. No one knew Matariki 22 years ago, well, a lot of people. Uh, now the Bloody Warehouse has a special. Everyone else has a special Matariki weekend special. Um, so I think it's been blown out of the water a bit. From a tikanga or a cultural perspective, it's always been there. It's been one of our navigational stars to getting to this place from Polynesia. Um, and it's celebrated. So Matariki uh, is a reflection of, one, the new year, but we celebrate um, the the start of our maramataka, or our, our calendar for growing food, for our whole life cycle, we start it on the full moon after Matariki. Um so we call that terakonui and the Maori lunar calendar is thirty days. We don't have thirty one or twenty eight, we have thirty days and we follow that cycle right through. So as soon as the full moon um after Matariki, the first sighting of Puanga or Matariki, that's when we, we start our calendar. And that starts everything from our planting See, a lot of people think, oh, you plant now. You don't plant now. You get your beds ready for spring. Um, it's swamp now. You know, it's you can't plant anything. So it's about, and I think people really fully need to understand that it's actually, um, for us, it's a forecast of our uh, future. So, like, we, uh, we in Auckland, there are 19 iwi, and Mwaiwi hosted Matariki last year up at Arataki, and um, we did the first karakia or the blessing of Matariki and it was such a fine gorgeous morning and we knew that it was going to be a long summer and look at it, we've had a long summer and we forecast it in the middle this time last year that it's going to be a real long summer and you're going to need heaps of water for your water tanks if you've got them in and it, and it was true the year before it was patchy on that morning that first morning of the karakia and so for us, we can forecast the whole season from viewing Matariki uh, in its beginnings. And so for us, that was important to us for planting, fishing, and just getting our whole year in place.
1: Where is the um, the record of the first sighting of Matariki? There must be an official day where the calendar begins. Who, yeah, who so, decides that?
2: So the, the uh, so um, this this year... The dates that you, you've you had, the Matariki Festival, I think is 25th. Um, so um, that's like, is for and, and there are different tikanga or different traditions around the country um, where um, people start their calendar. It's it's more about the calendar, the maramataka, okay. as opposed to some iwi rep, um, start on the new moon. Yeah. Um, why we start on the full moon, the Rako Nui, and then we go from there.
1: Okay, so not um, everyone's calendars are synced up, no. but it's, it's how you yeah. interpret. And then the beginning there's a west the
2: calendar. coast calendar, there's an east coast calendar. So the I was thinking that is, and the temperature varies yeah.
1: so much between the North and the South Island that the planting and everything and the fishing must be different.
2: Totally. And and fish run at different times yeah. in different parts of the country. So um I've got a calendar dating back uh, on my mother's side, on my grandmother's side, um, from the eighteen eighties, and then her her father's side, same period, and they're totally different names. Um, and and you know that's a Northland. um. So they had a different calendar for Hokianga, a different calendar for the Bay of Islands.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. And what um what specifically? Like you spoke about it as the reset of the year, what mm. um, what does it mean um, culturally for you? What are you resetting?
2: So it's resetting uh, all those elements, and, and it's a time to farewell the past year, um, your loved ones that have passed away, or um, you know things you want to clear for this year. So it's about you know, setting your calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, European world, it's, you know, January the 1st. For us, it is about that. So
1: so same kind you know. of thing. Everyone reflects on the year that's been, yeah. sets goals for the year yeah. ahead.
2: And then looking at the forescar- forecast elements of that first sighting, and that sort of sets you up as well, what you're in for, what you need to uh, look at this. I mean, back then we had tohunga or real experts that could tell every element and moment. And so they would set it and call a hui, or a gathering, and say, "This is what we're in for this year," and then everyone would set their growing calendar, their fishing calendar, off that.
4: Has so, it always been a time for feasting for Hākari, or is that more a modern thing that we have these sort of celebrations?
2: Yeah, yeah um, this time of the year, a lot of the food is being preserved, so it isn't as though you're getting fresh, fresh food. It's usually um, last summer's fish preserved, uh, last summer's birds, Um, kumara's all year round because uh, the kumara would have been kept in rua or or, um, kumara pits um, along with the ufi, which is the yam. Um, So a lot of the actual uh, food that they're eating now is actually preserved food. Mm -hmm. So it isn't like fresh as such. Um, so um, uh, yes uh, this time of the year is more about indoors it's more about um, wānanga or learning so yeah. a lot of the universities back then I'm talking pre-European would have been right now so they would have been learning chance uh, genealogy, history, all that sort of stuff so they w- it would have been a time to reflect on that more so but they did have a haka,ri as such, for the setting of the new calendar.
1: On the on the food note, there, what mm. is the preserved fish traditionally? I've never seen it.
2: Anything you catch, really. Um, How so, do you preserve it? So some are some are dried. Yeah. A lot of shark, and that's dried shark. Um, a lot of the other fishes actually put in taha, uh, which is gourds, and they put in the liquid. So they would boil the water in a big vessel, even in gourds. And then the fish, uh, the hot water uh, would just, uh, just enough to boil the fish for a little while and then they'll be put into these gourds and then they'll be kept sealed tight. Same with birds, mutton birds. We've just finished the mutton bird season now um, and they traditionally put them in um, bull kelp then with totara bark and, and um keti around them so they, they would preserve really well um, Tiny Mishka who's from Bluff an old man and is probably close to 90 now, uh, he's been preserving on the mutton bird islands all his life and uh, he was telling me that he found, they they preserved the birds, you know 16, 20 birds in these vessels which are uh, they call it a poha and uh, it's in bull kelp and it had fallen down the back of his shed. And uh, he had the date on it. It was about nine years old. And so he thought, ah, oh, should I try that? Yeah. <laughs> and so he did. And he said it was just exactly the same as the day it went in. Wow. Nice. So wow. our preserving, and my mother, because my mother and them were brought up right in the in the middle of the island in a place called Pupiway, um, they didn't have mm-hmm. sea or coastal line. So when they did go, they'll preserve everything from mussels, um, pāua, kina, and they'll preserve them in AG jars back then. Yeah, yeah, And so they'll just blanch everything, put it in. And they're just the most amazing um, Is it in preserve.
1: brine?
2: The brine is just salt water.
1: Yeah, so they just keep it in the salt yeah, water. So you
2: it's... boil it to a temperature and then drop your mussels in. Yeah. Cut them up. Uh, you, boil, you blanch your puha, and then that... Pull pull that all together, and that becomes the toroi, which is a preserved, and it's a beautiful salad. Yeah, and then you just put that on your shelf. We used to leave it on for a year, pull it off, open it up, but it's when you open up, you put it in the fridge or you eat it straight away.
1: I'm into that. Someone yeah. should be um serving preserved. Come down to the
2: Māori Kitchen. Come down to the Māori Kitchen. Got, have you got yes. preserved? Yeah, the summer. This summer we will be having. All We've of got preserved food, awesome. um, and it's it's a healthy salad. Mm. Puha and and. Uh, and uh, mussels yeah. or, or puha and power. yeah um, so I mean these these are some of some of our you know some of the cuisine that you don't see out there.
1: Yeah, totally. And I was just thinking it's so in sync with the um, you know the trends of pulling preserved things out of tins and serving them in restaurants yeah. and bars around the world. Like why not get that going here too?
2: Well, it's been around for over a thousand years.
1: yeah
4: <laughs> yeah Did you get some um, is it kanga Pito the stinky corn?
2: Rolling corn, yeah, yeah. I mean, my mother, for instance, um, we were fortunate enough to uh, uh been brought up on uh, karaka berries. Oh, now, yeah. karaka berries, um, they're, you could die. Mm. And like I used to have a program way back called Garden to Plate Marakai. And um, I brought my mother on and she was doing all these preserves. And it was such fascinating for a lot of people um if you don't get it right you will die mm.
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's sort of like oh god i don't know if we should be showing this no on tv sure. yeah you know. yeah yeah do
1: so, not try this at home because
2: yeah. karaka berries are very toxic you know yeah. and if yeah. you eat but the are they curdling, delicious when they're done oh they are just it's to describe it it is uh, it's like a nut that is like a fruit salad oh yeah. so if anyone's out there wanting to cook up some karaka berries how do you ensure you don't die so it's around the around the months of March, so when they're getting really bright orangey in this, you can smell the, mm-hmm. you know, you can really smell the karaka. That is the time. You can eat the flesh. That's the good away. time or the death time? The good time. But <laughs> thought we should be the, extra clear. You can eat the yellow orangey flesh, but don't eat the kernel. That's what you boil. So the kernels are quite big. You can boil them. So what we used to do is mum used to put them in a copper on, on a fire, burn the, you know, boil the hell out of it. So for an hour, you would boil it, change your water, boil it again. Uh, so okay. three so times right you would, you would, you would actually boil it three times, change your water, take three hours, <laughs> and there you go. That's your, and and they're just amazing. Turn that into a pesto, wow. Ooh, boom. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just
1: going to go get a bar stool and park up at the Marty kitchen. <laughs> yeah. That
0: was yeah. great. So you're you're using Hangi now as a beautiful vehicle for um, preserving these ancient traditions and and allowing people to engage with them again in an everyday way. And it's also mm-hmm. been a vehicle for uh, thinking about your whakapapa Papa as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, this is something you've been
2: yeah. handed down by your family. Yeah, and I I mean the whole reason. We started hangi master. And now the Maori kitchen was because of that. Um, it was to honour the hangi masters of the past, the present, and the future. Every village around New Zealand had a hangi master. Yeah. Every village, every kanga, every marae, whether it was your father, your grandfather, your brother, sister, um, then they were hangi masters. And so, so it
1: could be women or men totally. of any age.
2: My my cousins, my sisters can do hangi. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. I mean, um, and for me, I could see this art becoming lost um, with the multi-kai cookers, the steam cookers, the kegs, and all of that, you know. How do you feel about those fake hangi machines? Exactly what you said, fake. Um, But uh, look, I mean, I'm not here to put anyone down about that, but I I do say a hangi has to be traditional. It has to be cooked in the ground. Uh, It has to be... Heated with stones, the wood has to be, you know, manuka or hot wood.
1: Um, I read somewhere that you have some stones in your hungi that have been in your family mm, mm. for generations. Yeah, what are these volcanic stones? That are they typically passed down, or is that something that's a particular privilege of yours?
2: Yeah. Um, and uh, my grandfather's stones. Um, he um, pa- uh, so he taught my dad. Mm-hmm. He taught my dad about everything about hangi, and then my dad taught my brothers and and me, of course. Um, and those were handed down. We worked them out. It would be they'd be well over hundred years old. These stones from the grand. And your dad was time. English, yeah. Is that right? But he spoke his Yeah. Yeah, and so he he was by um, like everyone got um, him to do the hangis. Uh, you know, uh, my mother was one of the older sisters in the family. And um, so a lot of her younger siblings, um, dad would teach the teacher teacher brothers, mm. you know because he was taught by the man. Um, and so he taught us. so I still have some of the stones. I don't cook with them. I've kept them aside um, for you know just because their tongue are their gifts. Mm. and um, I'll pass those on. So for me, when I cook, I cook with my granddad. Um, and my ancestors.
1: Wow, that's really beautiful.
0: How did the multi mm-hmm. Kitchen come about and how did you two get together and what was the idea behind it? Yeah. Um, so many, many years ago,
3: you might remember that Taste of Auckland and Western Springs. Mm-hmm. And um, so, really, about five years? Is about five years now? Five yeah. years ago, he had this idea to do um, a gourmet hangi series. Mm-hmm. So the idea was like, Here's a couple of hangis in the ground. They're ovens. Let's hook up with some guys that cook other things. So I think Makoto from Kokoro, um, the tasting shed, Darius, and yeah. Ben Bailey.
4: Yeah, I remember that. It was cool. Yeah,
3: yeah so I've the four of that. us did that as the first year, uh, one. well, the first event at Taste of this kind. What were
0: some of the interesting things you threw in this gourmet <clears throat> <throat>
3: hangi? We did kimchi pork belly, which yeah. is amazing. And we learnt a lot because we did a test at Sir Bob's house.
4: Yeah, that's right. Because
3: none of us had done it before. Ben had never done it, we hadn't done none of yeah. us had done it, but we were so keen to learn like how do you, cuz you know this is a great curiosity, the great secret, the thing that no one's allowed to learn about in this country because it's a secret.
1: But do you wrap pork belly and what is kimchi pork belly?
3: So kimchi pork belly is essentially pork belly that's been <laughs> marinated in kimchi and soaked in it, but you have to do it for three times longer because you learn about how hangi extracts flavor mm-hmm. sometimes right so you do it for 72 hour brining so it's a technique cool so so cuz you want to keep the flavor with the smoke mm-hmm. so you're doing both mm-hmm. so oh. we did that ben what did ben do ben did, um, ben did pork belly and duck pork belly but anyway Makoto did the most beautiful kind mm-hmm. of salmon at the very top cuz he learned that the top of the hangi was only 125 kind of 125 degrees so being japanese is like I will break this hangi down into nine temperature zones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I will cook appropriately in each one.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> so they like, would have be been delicious. Yeah, so he he. So we learned from him too. We we learned about things, but what happened then is, where well, we did it again, and then he started his food truck, the Hangi Master food truck, where he created that pork belly sandwich, the wrap, yeah. and started taking it to the people, so to speak, and did all the festivals and all the shows. And that's when he learned that people loved it. People, A, missed the traditional food in its original form, but also liked these new versions. So about a year ago, we had an opportunity to, what is that?
4: Well, I've just cracked I um, I don't drink booze. Oh, okay.
2: But just letting. it go. He's you know, had right? a lifetime of it. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. This I is don't definitely
4: booze. <laughs> I don't drink
3: alcohol. But anyway, um, story is, um, so it ended up with us getting an opportunity to do a, a, a tourism event that had hangi in it. But we worked out that it was like there was too many layers between us and the people. And we're like, you know what? I think it's time for us to like bring to this secret, this secret that is to everybody, but in a way that is commercially sound seven days a week on the waterfront with all the air grade certificates and a food control plan and a business model.
1: Yeah. Nice,
3: and so we just plugged each other's holes, metaphorically speaking.
1: <laughs> I hope so.
3: Metaphorically speaking,
1: sexy. <laughs> when did so it
3: happen? Um, April, March the 11th,
1: this year,
3: yeah. How's it going? It's gone really good. Yeah. We, um, can I toot our horn? Mm-hmm. I'm Please tooting toot. it. I, toot want to toot. I. I want to toot it, right? Yeah, so, um, like six weeks to eight weeks ago. Time Out London put us in the top 19 openings in the world.
1: Woo-hoo! Wow. between means
2: in the world.
3: That's in between what, bro? In between the Eiffel Tower's new restaurant so and, the, and the underwater restaurant in Norway. Ooh, yeah, wow. milk, yeah. The aquatic thingy. That's um, awesome. And it was just an acknowledgement of indigenous food coming to the foreground in a way that everyone can have. I think you hit yeah. the nail on the head just now when you said everyone can have. That's our number one customer is regular Aucklanders, not Maori or or builders. It's like regular folk who've like heard of hangi, mm-hmm. but don't know where to get it, and now can get it anytime.
2: Great. It's about making it accessible, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. to everyone, and um, we certainly have. And so, I mean, sure, um, there's a lot of building sites down there, and we see this high vis sea coming towards us around 10 a.m.
1: There guys. are 800 guys on site at Commercial Bay. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> yeah.
2: so they're, 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 those 800 guys are smashed over how many hangi pies hongis, yeah. or A how hongis. many meals? Yes, yeah, um, so I love so that. It. But it's, it's not them. It's the accountant. It's the lawyer. It's mm. everyone else. Yeah. It's the skinny chick uh, behind the um, reception. Exactly. At yeah. um, NZ uh, Insurance or something. That are you pay open payments. late?
1: Do you get the drunk crowd?
2: No, no we don't. No, yeah. we're staying no. away from that.
1: It's actually a dangerous trap to fall in, isn't it? I mean, we before we turned it into Bird on a Wire, we bought this hilarious, um, famous late-night fish-and-chip joint on Ponsonby Road called Nina's Takeaways. And the day that we closed Nina's and opened Bird, we had people saying to us, like, you'll regret this, you'll be sorry. <laughs> it was like... Are you fucking kidding? The only time this thing makes money is between 1 and 3 a.m. on a Friday and a Saturday. Like, it's not going to work.
3: Well, we see those people because the hangi pit, this is the first hangi pit ever <coughs> to run seven days a yeah. week on Queen's Wharf, yeah. And it's 100% traditional. You should come and have a look at it at some yeah, point. Yeah, I would like it. Like, spend a lot of time figuring out how to make this 100% traditional and accessible so you can stand um, two meters away from this thing. Mm-hmm. And it comes up every day at 10 a.m. There's a wow. show every day at ten am yeah. of authentic food. Wow, which is really. Who lays
1: cool. it? We've got a good team. We've got yeah. a
2: good team, and I think talking about the team, um, it's just so humbling to teach these young uh, young guys that have come through the in their twenties. That a twenty two year old hasn't done a hangi before. Now yeah. he's done sixty hangis.
1: That's so wicked because, like, your your business is the means of teaching more yeah. people how to lay a hangi, which is. Totally, this, this these good guys good.
2: now uh, there's a professional title called hangi master. There's yeah, an employment,
3: yeah. con- there's two employment contracts in my folders that say hangi master on them. Yeah, nice. And hangi assistant, and hangi kiosk chef, and yeah. hangi this and hangi, you know it's a, it's a you got to work your way to the top. That's right. What, what is the top? We haven't figured that out. What yet?
0: was it like putting a hangi pit down in the waterfront? Was it? Did it require resource consent? Were there council? Um, Rigmarole to go through, or do you just dig a hole when you're away? We just haven't told them, bro.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been really cool. Council have been really cool because I think Mm -hmm. as long as we were able to prove that we were doing it safely and following all the rules, which we did, Mm -hmm. Um, they were like, look, we'll, we'll trust you guys to do it, just make sure you do it right.
1: <coughs> I think Auckland Council just got their first ever shout out on this podcast. Well, look,
3: uh-huh. wow, I've got, to, a I've got out, to give yeah. props to props to do, right? Yeah, wicked. We, we need to do that in life.
1: They must be turning things around down there.
3: Well, yeah. you know, there's a really good team there that saw the value in having New Zealand's oldest food on Queen's Wharf. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. uh and AT and everybody else has been right behind it because finally there's a place that you you can say our food isn't you know, um, roast lamb or I won't say any particular brands, but you know, there's like two, three or four lamb brands that everyone thinks of as being premium New Zealand. Yeah. But is is lamb rack our food?
2: We don't think yeah. so. Is
0: fish and chips our food?
3: We don't think so. No. We think hangi is our national dish. It's, That's it's where we live. It's,
2: it should be on it. Well, it is because, yeah. I mean, Kupe came here. He named Aotearoa, Aotearoa, uh-huh. you know, um, before the big migration 2,000 years or so ago. He came down here. He he actually did a number of hangi around Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, so for me, that is the oldest dish. It is totally the oldest dish. In the 70s and the 80s, parker families did hangi as well, at at funerals, at weddings, at celebrations. So it was a Kiwi thing. Um, you'd always um, you'd always uh, have a Maori bro that come over and helped you with the hangi and yeah. guided you. But you go to the Waikato, well, A lot of those farmers yeah, know. Yeah, yeah know how to do hangi i'm talking about pakeha five generation parkia. Mm.
1: and what i think is quite interesting is that potentially the um the skill and the refinement of the exercise has been overlooked like i think it's a really mm. difficult um, oh, yeah. thing to do and i read something um that was a story on you in the metro and it was just speaking about how you never know at a tangi if you're on a Marai, where the 400 or yeah, 600 totally. people are going to rock up. And you've got to plan for that. And then you've got to lay your own hangi. And then you've also got to plan for the amount that each different type of meat is going to shrink throughout that cooking yeah. process. It's actually totally. really technical. Yeah. It is
2: totally technical. When I mean, I was lucky my mother, she um, she was a caterer and, and she ran our kitchens on our marai. So I was hanging on her um, apron string for mm. a long time. And so fortunate enough to be under that pressure of okay count how many people going through there you know coming through the marae gate oh there's about 300 okay you gotta whack out a meal within two hours for 300 people um and then you gotta find the food so like the first uh, you get a phone call so-and-so died they'll be back at the marae in eight hours bam and you'd have to work out okay i'll call um that guy there that cousin there he'll drop a pig he'll drop a cow butcher it up, cut it up, who's got what, and that's the way it worked. It was a community coming together, and but it's having the right maestro in place mm. that can make everything hum. And, and my control mum was the like temperature. That. Totally.
1: Isn't that a, just a disaster if that goes wrong?
2: Is it, Well, there's always two hungies, a good one or a bloody bad one. Yeah. and Everyone remembers the bad one, right? And right. so um, that's why we've had so many people come through. oh, I've always – because of that first experience of a bad hangi,
3: it's had the it's had a we call it the Brussels sprouts renaissance. Remember how Nana's Brussels sprouts yeah. ruined Brussels sprouts, yeah. and then three years ago somebody used speck and butter, and suddenly it was delicious. Like cooked in a pan for bit two minutes, a bit of lardons in there. As yeah, well. so so hang so we feel that cooked the right way, served to people, even if you've had a bad experience, hopefully this will remind you that it can be good.
2: We're in the business now of, um, you know, caring for 600 people at a time. And when you're catering for that, when they've paid you already, yeah, you can't get it wrong, man. you yeah, just yeah. like, and you got mm. 600 people waiting in a hall, whether it's uh, uh, some awards night or some some event, you got 600 people and you better to make sure that's bloody coming up. Mm.
1: Yeah, so. we had quite a laugh with Al Brown when he came on this podcast and we are talking about how people are getting real into gadgets. He's like... I've noticed when I go to my mate's place and they don't just cook a barbecue now and, like, touch the meat and see what it feels like. There's, like, a special fucking <laughs> thermometer for this and all this different stuff. Like, it's it's almost the original version of just having to cook by feel, isn't it? Mm,
2: it totally is. It's hygrometer. I mean, I use the <laughs> I and mean, I use a, a laser gun now, and I'll just – which is good. These laser guns Yeah, are those great, are good. The wicked. temperature wicked. change. Especially for rocks. I mean, yeah. you've got 50 rocks in your pit. You can point it at each rock and it'll tell you, okay, that's 500 Celsius, that's six. So, you know, that's cool. Then you just move it up the range. Before, it was all about looking at the rock and the color and getting that right. You know, my grandparents in my time before we had laser guns. So um, for now, um, it's it's awesome. I love those gadgets and Mm. you get it bang on. And so we're teaching these young guys that. So um, just stacking the fire. Um is is amazing, and so we're using manuka, mm. um, and which is a hot burning wood, and um, getting the guys right, and now the guys are to a point where um, this just ash left, you know, and so that's where you want to be. At. You don't yeah. want to be hauling out big trunks because they never burnt, yeah, um, and what have you. So that's um, so just getting just the, the right skill. amount of Experience wood onto the fire, yeah. just the skill. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's so much skill. What about wrapping each item in the hangi? How does that work?
2: Traditionally, they did. Um, they'd wrap them with a dungi order, which is a big leaf. Um, mm-hmm. Nico would have been the steel baskets we use now. Yeah. Uh, Platt it up niko. Um Puka is an awesome leaf, coastal leaf, um, which we call the Māori tinfoil. You put that in and, and it just it will hold the heat. It doesn't taint the food. Yeah such a good leaf so we'd use it like that but we don't um, a lot of people have tried doing individual parcels and a lot of Maori still do that but yep. I don't like that, it doesn't okay. cook properly it doesn't give an even spread you got to just do it the proper way cook everything and then, then portion it up later. Yeah. I've just had a listener text
0: and a question mm-hmm. what is the best rock to use mm. for, for hangi? She's asked if volcanic is good or you're looking for something else?
2: Yeah, so there are a number of types. You know, um there's the blue rock, basalt, there's andesite, there's there is volcanic. Um some river rocks explode, not all of them. Um so um there are it's really trialling out, you know. There's an aw- awesome set of rocks at the Swanson railway station in their garden.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: it's gotta go at night. Brilliant. But- so, no, it's a blue-gray wacky, uh, not a gray wacky. it's a blue um, basalt. So there's 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 a number of, um you know, rocks you can use, um, and it's just trialling them out because as any quarry is, there's quality and different types of rock, and not all basalt's going to be good. So it's a matter of trial and error.
4: What about using, like, railway irons and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, a lot of people use them, um, uh, but they cool down. They don't hold the heat like a rock. Yeah. Um, Is that
1: the sole um, function of the rock? So, we've spoken about the flavor of the earth. Obviously, mm. it's just heat plus earth that gives you that flavor. Yeah. But are there any stones that give any particular flavor?
2: I don't think I, it's, they don't give flavor. Just but they just conduct the heat. They do exactly what you said. They conduct the heat and they let it out slowly. So, if you can imagine, when you cook food, the stones get up to 600 plus Celsius. And then you're putting your food on top of the rocks in baskets, meat down the bottom, vegetables on top, um, and then you cover it. The rocks aren't going to get any hotter. They're going to stay that heat, and they're going to actually – what happens is the food becomes a magnet, and it just draws into the food. So the heat draws into the food. It's different to an oven where you're blasting it for 300. From the
1: outside in, yeah.
2: Outside in. This is actually drawing it up to the middle, so it's a different process, Um, whereas – when you're cooking in an oven. <clears throat> you put it on for 30 minutes on 180, and that oven's just going to keep at 180. This yeah. is a really hot heat, and it absorbs all the f- uh, bigger pieces of meat first, and then the smaller pieces take on the rest of the heat as well. So it's about putting the um, different parts of the hanging and, and you know um, your food in different parts of the hanging.
1: Have you guys got any plans to? I mean, I'm just thinking about scale. It must seem like almost a shame to only make enough for the Māori kitchen on its own. Like, if you're laying a hangi, you may as well go hard and make 600 portions. Is there any plans for a restaurant expansion?
3: No no restaurant. But um, the hangi pie is definitely doing its rounds right now with decision makers in mm-hmm. various areas. <laughs>
0: So I love it. Got mm. having a hangi pie. For so our
3: goal is to definitely get the hangi pie across the nation. Yeah. Um, which requires cooking of plenty of hangi. Yeah. The old-fashioned way. Cool. Um, and you know, for us, it's about getting the model right. You know, we're we're fourteen weeks old. Yeah. So we're still locking down systems, locking down staff, and how they think making sure people follow through with, the with our, you know, everything has to be consistent every day. So just getting the business side of it right is what we're focused on right now.
1: And I was going to say, this is kind of a business consultancy thing to say, but are there any particularities with your model? Like, is it more labor intensive or where's your food cost at compared to a normal restaurant?
3: Well, for us to do this successfully, we have to find a balance between how long it takes people to do this seven hour cook right and we're finding that
4: you know Mm. food
3: costs. thankfully we've managed to manage that quite well by just buying smart Um, but getting people to work better productivity is the question I think you're asking me it's a work in progress you know no one's ever done this as a job ever in the history of New Zealand Mm. as a job seven days a week on the clock with customers yeah Mm. so we're we're training people and some days are better than others but we're going this way, you know, we haven't gone backwards. Mm. But we both work on it really hard, you know, just mm. keeping mm. patient yeah. with everyone, yeah. um, making sure we encourage them to understand that this is bigger than a business. Because mm. that's what we always say. This is not just about business. This is about totally. New Zealand's food mm. being mm. presented to not just locals, but the world every yeah. day on the busiest port we have.
0: And preserving, and preserving right. tradition. And preserving tradition.
2: For know, us, Maori Tanga is, is our key value mm. and it's sort of, mm. like a lot. You, a lot of people saying, oh, It's all about manaiketanga, but a lot of people don't know what that means. So for me, it's a feeling. Mm. And you can't explain it. You can only feel it. Yeah. Mm. And if you come and have a meal with the staff involved and with us and experiencing that hangi come out, that's like, wow, I'll never forget that meal.
1: That's why I really appreciate everything you've said because, God, we know how hard it is to get all of those moving parts right. And you can just tell how thrilled you are with what you're doing. But, you know, it's a big task, Mm. managing... The staff managing the staff costs, managing the experience, like the invisible Manaki Tonga oh, is yeah. like an extra challenge, you know.
2: And then there's a lot of critiques out there from my own that mm. are always gonna say, "What are you doing? Mm. How can you do this? Uh, you can't, you can't sell our national dish." Mm. Um, all of that. So we get, we get, whether you're doing a good job here, you someone it's it's all around you. Yeah. But we put our heart and our soul into this, and and. And for us, it's it's more about, I want to, uh, why can't those people coming off that boat taste something of this land? Yeah. Why can't they taste the oldest dish in New Zealand? Why, when they come here, they land in on Queen's Wharf, they see McDonald's, Peter Pitt, they see everything else. Why can't they have the oldest dish in Aotearoa? Yeah. I think That's it's what so I important. I want. That's yeah. what I want when I go to Italy. That's what I want when and I We always use, Italy
3: is our fine example. We always yeah. talk about Italy as pasta it could be a home dish or it could be a refined dish in a restaurant. Yeah, totally. But it's still the dish that Italians are most known for. What is that for us? Mm-hmm. It has to be hangi. And if it is, then how do we follow through with that idea yeah. of making that? You know, what's yeah. New Zealand's food?
2: We've been on this uh, uh, Auckland food collaborational group with chefs and restaurateurs for a long time. We put the question out, what's our dish? Everyone talked yeah. about, oh, it's fish, it's lamb. Yeah, I've no, been to no, no,
1: no. a couple of days like where that's so, like, been the brainstorm. Bullshit. I've written yeah. articles about it's it. It's bullshit. not clear. I mean,
2: you can get that fish anywhere. But what I'm saying is, what is actually our dish? What is our pasta? What is our, yeah. you know, what is our... What is our tomato sauce with pasta?
3: Yeah. Our basic tomato sauce. What is, it? you know, sauce it's, with, what is it's, that? It's It's
2: hungry it's, it's the oldest dish. Why can't we embrace it? In saying that, we're, we're now... Um, cooking for, for the likes of Ben Bailey and where they can now put on their menu which they do a beautiful job of with uh, pork belly bal bell bun on the grounds mm. so um, it's hangi pork belly mm. bell bun so they awesome. can say that and he wants to use that when commercial bay opens so yes. th- I mean that's cool so we're doing street food to fine dining but we're serving the soul dish um, that, that everyone should have access to not only Māori um, but our visitors, our manuhiri that come here, you take your family and say, this is a taste of New Zealand. That's, that's what we want. And yeah.
0: I think we're seeing indigenous food uh, become a lot more visible, uh, ex- being elevated by people like Manik Fiso at Hiakai. Mm. It's being incorporated into the menus of restaurants all over the country. Mm. And I think that's such an important thing to happen.
1: That's why the hangi um, pie is quite cool, isn't it? Because it's for everyone. Like you said, your food's for everyone. But and and that's what
0: I was going to talk about. I think we've seen suddenly uh, Maori f- uh, food become fancy, become cool. Yeah. And it's missed out a whole demographic of mm. people. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's great. It's great to see it celebrated. So we, but we, we talk- take... The hangi to to the your streets. point,
3: we, we celebrate the fact that we're the food of the people, man. That's all we do. Mm. We're yeah. food of the people. Yeah. We're not trying to make a kawakawa powder and make a mousse of something. We yeah. want to keep so cool to the tradition. In a lot
2: of way that's bullshit because a lot of these people wouldn't even have a clue what it looks like in the bush, what the medicinal purposes mm. are. Mm. It's a cool because it's Maori and we want to use it. And we want to sell it as a product. Mm. And so for me, sure, it looks cool on the menu when you see a horopo rub on a beautiful lamb rack, rib or whatever. Um, but does the chef actually know what it is? Is it the appropriate use so of for that me, herb at that time? when you teach people how to cook, they have to understand the stories. They have to understand yeah. the whakapapa behind it. What goes with what? Why it goes with this? And so for me, that's what we do. We keep it simple. Um, and um, like like Ganesh said, it's, it's, a, it's soul food at its best. Yeah, people. and
1: that's why I think it's so wonderful what you're doing, and I hope that you don't um, feel squeezed on the price front because the quality of what you're delivering is so epic that you yeah. just don't need to. You it it needs to be what it mm. is, and yeah. it will yeah. succeed.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, we we do our best, you know. We we we, uh, we crunch the numbers, mm-hmm. you know. That's what Nati Patel does. <laughs> <laughs> Nati
4: Patel.
2: You know, and so I think um like uh our our future and like. This is our first shop, and we're looking at, at getting out there in mm-hmm. Taitokoro at the end of the year. Uh, we haven't really landed on the place, but this summer in the north, there will be definitely uh, another k- Māori kitchen. Nice. We're looking at uh, Wanaka, Queenstown, South Island next year. Cool. So we want to actually move and spread the love uh, around the motu where people can actually, um, you know, it's accessible to everyone, you know, yeah, even if you're from Christchurch, no, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, even this, even. even
4: sorry, Christchurch <laughs> listeners, no, I <Even>. love your <laughs> um, now we've just been drinking a lovely tuatara because it midnight. is my birthday, we needed yeah. to have <laughs> some beers because it is Simon's birthday. We have drunk, been drinking beer, which is tuatara's Midnight Sun Baltic Porter. Mm, oh I know yeah. you don't sort of traditionally drink beer with hangi, pru, but wow, what do hell you? Yeah. think? Yeah.
2: Leon Rouge. This would actually really go well with a titi mutton bird. Yeah, well, um, I thought it was a creamy texture, stouty. I would say they would go with a more fattier meat. Yeah. Um, and I just compliment that
3: perfectly. Okay. Tuatara should call us so we can do a collab together. Oh, my God, you should,
1: Tuatara. Tuatara, <laughs> Tuatara just call us so we can do well. a collab. I need to, I need to eat Auntie a lot man. more mutton bird before I can um, enjoy it, unfortunately. I've, just, I've you, tried.
3: You haven't tried you, it. You you've got Brussels sprout syndrome. This is yeah. it right here. This is it. You've <laughs> had the bad couple. It's so salty. It's hurt you already. Right? This yeah. is the hood. But this was in a rest, uh, at, Which um, restaurant.
1: Which um, restaurant? At Fleur's oh, in Moiraki. Oh, yeah. old yeah. Fleur. She's a lovely She's author. awesome. And honestly, and other people done were enjoying the-
2: it. She would have done it the old Mori styles, bag, boiled yeah. up with watercress or whatever, yeah, and, which is beautiful. Yeah. I it love it. It tasted
1: like almost fishy to me and yeah, it was yeah, just It's anchovy. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. it's the Mori anchovy. That's, all That's all how we, we, we treat it. It's a flying
2: but, fish.
1: Yeah, I'm down for that. I was quite disappointed in myself. I was like, come on, you're missing something. Well, you've got
2: to try ours. When The beauty of hangi, it will take a lot of that salt out and it'll give a, right. a different flavor and mm. it's it actually kills that sharpness and that comes from the brine. Yeah. And how they brine it. If you eat fresh mutton bird, yeah. it is totally
3: different.
1: Okay, I'm up for it.
3: He's actually got almost forty recipes of different types of Maori cuisine that no one's ever really had really? before. Wow. And because we're open all year, we can change the
0: menu with the seasons. Cool. Did you have Mutton Bird on the menu? Not yet. It's no, coming. It's coming.
2: There's three oh there's about thirty buckets coming up shortly. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. But that's the just imagining we them have coming a in a bucket. Me- yeah. yeah. Well, they do come in a when bucket. When you
3: pop those buckets open. No,
4: like
2: it. It's a fresh. And then experience. we're gonna deep fry that oil. You want to try doing mm. donuts and make oh, yeah. donuts or yeah, sweet yeah, yeah. bread out of that that uh, beautiful salty mm. flavor. It's sort of like a, a
1: like umami kind of yeah vibe. yeah.
2: And it, it's got a salty caramel. And to it. fried
3: bread, guys? Oh. But and shall I tell them our
2: secret behind? Don't do it. Sh- don't don't do it, <laughs> come on. No. Don't do it, bro. So we've designed this hokey <laughs> pokey. Uh, in the hangi, which is now called smoky Hokey Pokey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And awesome. that is just amazing. They're nice. little sweet nuggets, which you can tune through a beautiful ice cream yeah. for summer. That's our summer recipe. We'll have an it ice cream amazing. from the hangi. From yeah. the hangi.
1: Wicked. Hangi
2: ice cream. Yeah. So we've got a
3: bit of work to do, because hangi ice cream doesn't smell mm-hmm. that sexy, but hokey po- Smokey Hokey Pokey smoky, does. Smoky Hokey Pokey. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So th- there's a bit of work. Like, even at the field days for the last four days, it was amazing. We met all the people who've had hangis for hundreds of years. And then we met all the new guys. Yeah. And then we met the ladies that felt they'd cooked 25 of them and we knew nothing. <laughs> but the one good thing was everybody loved the food. And they took the trouble to tell us. So that was well, really appreciated.
1: Good. Yeah. Awesome.
4: Yeah. Right. right. Shall we?
0: Thank you so yeah. much for joining us today. It's so exciting to see um, someone advocating so hard for the place of food. Uh, in our in our culture, and for hangi to be uh, our national dish. For
4: everyone. I'm yeah. so convinced.
0: Mm. Good Who's luck a, next week.
4: Yeah, so next week at Britomart Takutai Square. Oh, shit, we didn't we
2: even talk about that. Oh, my God, yeah. Wait, give
0: this, us a quick rundown. This is all right, yeah, Go, girl. go, go.
2: So we're going to build this hangi pit uh, in Britomart. And, um, Ripping up be, the lawn, people. Ooh. We can't go too deep because you'll end up on the railway tracks below yeah. you, so we're going to do a bit of a raised one. Um, and that's going to be filled with dirt. It's going to be in-ground. And um, at lunchtime, you can pop on down to Takutai Square, get off your train, get off your bus, and come and have a hangi. The hangi will be coming out around about 11.30 every day from uh, Wednesday through to Sunday. And then on Friday night, we're doing the guitar party in the square with uh, the Koi Boys. Oh, cool. uh, Rob Ruha and uh, Troy King is going to be there. And the legend himself, um, Dennis Marsh, who uh, is a country and western dude. who wrote, a Who wrote uh, Hangi Tonight. He's yeah. going to be there teaching everyone the how, man to, himself. how to do it. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and we've got these big marquee tents that are going to keep everyone dry. There's going to be the warmth of the hangi and mm-hmm. the warmth of everyone there. Oh, that so. sounds
1: so awesome.
2: So get along, everybody.
0: That's the yeah.
1: Matariki We'll include the dates the uh,
2: on the site. Uh
0: Kiora Riwi kia ora, Ganesh, it's been really cool having you on and happy happy Matariki. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thanks so Matariki.
0: much. Happy
2: Puanga. Happy
0: Puanga. Yeah.
1: Happy yeah. Puanga.
4: Puanga.
1: <laughs> Simon's a westie, a coastie.